You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Joanne's playing the piano, conducting the choir, and many of you couldn't see her folding bulletins at the same time. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, This morning we're concluding a three-week series reflecting on the great story, maybe one of the best-known stories that Jesus told, the parable of the prodigal son. And I want to begin this morning with a question for you. What do you do when you are hurt, angry, and right? (laughs) I love being there. A couple months ago, I came across a story, a 28-year-old woman, been married, I think less than a year, it was in the New York Times, Brooke Reinhardt. She said that it was 6 a.m., there was a knock on the door, she came to answer in her PJs. It was the FBI, and they were arresting her. She had no idea. And as it turned out, her, quote, dear husband had been embezzling money uh, using her identity at work. And it had finally caught up with him, and unfortunately with her. And she says this about herself. She's a stickler for rules who had never even gotten a speeding ticket. I was handcuffed in my, oh no, mismatched pajamas and hauled away. My teeth weren't even brushed. But she was hurt, angry. And right. So over the next 90 days, she would lose her wealth, her home, her marriage, her dignity, even her freedom. That's hurt angry and right. When I was uh, just graduated from college, I hung around for a while at my college campus. I loitered, and I, I, I wanted to do student ministry. So, you know, my dream job was to, uh, to do student ministry, so I volunteered for a year. It was everything that I wanted except a paycheck. And so um, for that year, the entire year, I just couch surfed. I, I, I surfed on the benevolence of friends from church and didn't have a lot of cash. I worked part-time in uh, human resources and uh, corporate communications and, uh, and uh, PR. And I had a car, though. I had a used VW bus, a Vanagon. Love this thing. It had a, you know, it had a crank sunroof, and you could just keep cranking and cranking and cranking. It took about 20 minutes, and it opened up like four feet of sun in this in this bus. And we loved to drive it all around campus. But one day, I was driving back to campus. I had three students with me in the bus, and all of a sudden, I felt it lifting off the ground. I thought I didn't know it could do that. And it, it took an unintentional left-hand turn. And uh, without realizing it, what had happened, we had been hit. A red sports car, turns out brand new car, had come up a hill to, from my right and just smashed right into the right front corner of the bus and literally picked us up and just changed our direction. We started heading towards a hill, over the curb, past a, a street light, up some grass, and our ears were ringing. I couldn't find the pedals at all. I kept thinking, hit the brake, hit the brake. It turned out it was the clutch, and nothing was happening. I thought the brakes are broken. And, uh, and eventually slowed down this grassy side, and then started to 
go backwards into the intersection again. I quickly turned the wheel and smashed into a post to keep us from heading back in there. And I thought, this is not good. <laughs> Looked around. The students were okay. Fortunately, by God's grace, we were just bruised and a little battered. But I tell you, over the next nine months, as I tried, it was totaled, but I, I didn't have the money to replace it, so I tried to repair it. And uh, the insurance companies were constantly calling. And even though this guy had run a red light, his investigators and attorneys called me and sent me letters trying to intimidate me with the idea that they were going to sue me. I thought, hey, I'm hurt. I'm angry. And I'm right. You know, nine months of this. I just want my bus back. Well, what do you do? I bet you've been there, too. I bet you know what it's like for people around you to break their promises. Maybe to hurt you deeply. You've been abused, perhaps. Maybe it's just death by a thousand paper cuts. There are wounds that wound you again and again. Maybe it's somebody else's irresponsibility. And the consequences in our lives and the hurt can be grave. Or they can just be annoying. But the question is, what will you do when it happens? Oftentimes, hurt comes close to home. As we look at the prodigal son, we're talking about our relationships. And I've asked each of us to think about a, a, a configuration or circle of our relationships, maybe some that are strained. And I'm wondering if in, in that circle of relationships that you're choosing to reflect on at this time, maybe there's someone who hasn't hurt you, who hasn't made you angry. And actually, you know, you're right about that I wonder well it can happen in the best of families it can happen in the best of churches do you know that in ancient Israel this was happening as the psalmist tells us in Psalm 55 it's not enemies who taught me the psalmist writes I could bear that it's not adversaries who deal insolently with me I could hide from them but he now he addresses a friend he says but it is you my equal, my companion, my familiar friend, with whom I, I kept pleasant company. We walked in the house of God with the throng. Oh, my companion laid hands on a friend and violated a covenant with me, with speech smoother than butter, but with a heart set on war, with words that were softer than oil, but in fact were drawn swords. Have you ever been hurt? By a friend. William Blake, the poet, painter said, It's easier to forgive an enemy than to forgive a friend. What can we do? Well, we could pretend it never happened. Right? Ah, just put a smile on it. Put a bird on it. You know? Uh, or we could um, fight back. We know we've been hurt. Now it's your turn to feel the pain. Or we could walk away. Maybe there's another relationship where I won't be hurt. Wishful thinking, maybe, but we're done here. And we walk. Well, to see what Jesus invites us to do, our Savior Jesus Christ, let's turn back to this story, this greatest of stories, and uh, reflect this morning on the elder brother. Would you open up your Bible to Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32? In the Pew Bible there, you'll find that on page 850. And if you're able, let's stand together and read God's word aloud. Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. 
If you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. Let's, let's think a little bit about uh, these two characters. First the son, and then we'll talk about the father. It's easy to write off this, this man, this elder brother, as just a jealous crank who just does not get what's going on here, who just does not get forgiveness. But I think we have to be very careful. This elder son is giving us the climax of the story. Oftentimes, though, we call it the prodigal son. We forget the father. We think it's all about the prodigal. And then do we have to keep reading about this other brother? Just kind of gets in the way of the beauty of the story. This is what the story is all about. This is the climax. And I say that because this elder brother stands in for the Pharisees and the scribe at the very beginning of this chapter that are grumbling about Jesus. And Jesus puts them in the very last scene of these three stories he tells. We've got to be careful we don't miss this character. We've got to be careful that we don't dehumanize him. We've got to see him in living color. And we also need not to miss the opportunity to discover that we relate to him very much. That in many ways we are the elder brother in the story. I am the elder brother in the story. And here, look, he's hurt. He's angry and he's right. Is he not? He's hurt. You know the story. His elder brother has disinherited himself. He has wished his father dead. He said, give me the inheritance today. And he's gone off. He's brought horrible shame on the family. And this elder brother has watched it happen. He's, he's been traumatized. As he's watched someone he loved, his father, just get deconstructed, dressed down, ripped to shreds by his younger brother. It's an outrage. It not only hurts his father, it hurts him. But he's also been hurt by the humiliation that this family is facing now. He's saying, I can't even go out during the daylight anymore. My friends are all laughing at me. They can't hang out with anybody. What a travesty this has been. He's been hurt and he's angry. He's angry at a loss of 
family, at a loss of honor, loss of wealth, loss of work. His own energy in the field now, working alone. And you know, because of all of this, he's right. When this kid dares to come back, we ought to just turn him away at best, exclude him from the community. They had a ceremony to do that, as I told you uh, uh, two weeks ago. He could have been stoned. It would have been within their legal rights. And, and, and he's right about all of that. He deserves nothing. And frankly, we'd have to say he's right about his own loyalty. Think of what he has given up to serve in this field, to be obedient and loyal to this father. He's really tried to honor the father with his life. So now, yes, he's hurt, he's angry, and he's right. Here's the thing, by the way, that offends him most, and it gets him angry not just at the younger brother, but at his father. Catch this. Uh, Ken Bailey points this out to us in uh, verse 27. We read that one of the slave boys is, maybe there's probably a pack of these boys running around the field, and um, the elder son hears this singing and dancing. There's a celebration somewhere, and I don't remember it on my uh, calendar. Um, what is going on, he asks one of these uh, slave boys. And in verse 27, the answer comes back. He says, your, your brother's come, and your father has killed the fatted calf uh, because he's got him back safe and sound. Now, that word, uh, that phrase in English, safe and sound, translates a single Greek word, hugiano. Can you hear the similarity between hugiano and our hygiene? It's where we get hygiene from, and it means healthy. So he's received him back safe and sound, and that's a fair translation. But here's what Ken Bailey says. Here, here, you know, Ken Bailey says, any Greek-speaking Jew who hears hugiano is going to hear another word. Because in their Bible, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Bible they're reading at that time, Hugiano, that Greek word, always renders only one Hebrew word, and it's shalom. You know that word, peace. And so what this servant boy is saying is, your father has killed the cat at fatted calf, and he has received your younger brother, the prodigal son, back with peace. Now that is offensive. Because the elder brother knew very well what had happened, and he never thought this... Prodigal would come back, but if he did come back, he knew what he deserved. Punishment, judgment, condemnation. We would let him have it like he had never had it before. Oh, yeah, you want something from us? Get ready, because we got something for you. And uh, But now he's hearing his father has welcomed him back with peace. That could mean nothing to him but reconciliation. Absolutely irresponsible reconciliation and and now his blood pressure just begins to rise he's really angry now and he's really angry at his father and so what should he do this guy well since you're in church and i'm a preacher you might think the answer is forgive and that's a good answer it's the right answer i suppose but you know what there's a huge difference between knowing the right answer and being able to do it as um, I discovered with my wife this week, actually, um, we have a broken window in our house. Um, 
And I won't get into that story, but I will tell you that uh, we've been uh, dealing with uh, bids on replacement windows, and uh, my wife and I apparently had a little difference of opinion as to how this should be done. So we're having one of those lovely late-night brushing-our-teeth conversations, and it escalates. And, of course, you know what good Christians will do when they fight at the end of the day. They will not let the sun go down on their anger, right? And so I said, and uh, please forgive me, and let's reconcile, right? No. We both just went to bed, stone cold and angry. We took care of it later, but I got to say, no, I knew that I should forgive. I knew that I should ask for forgiveness, but I didn't want to. It didn't feel like it. I wasn't in the mood. And, you know, you never are when you're angry. And that's why I never understand this. You know, um, you know, when we marry you here in the church, we like to give you rules for fair fighting. Right. But to be honest, as a married person, that's that's me as a pastor, as a married person, I have no interest in rules for fair fighting. I want my wife to have them, but I want rules for effective fighting. I'm in this thing to win. I don't care about being fair. I'm angry. So, yeah, forgive. But look, who could do that? Now, he knows that if he were to go back into this house, It would, in essence, be forgiving. It would, in essence, be an act of reconciliation. He would be joining in with his father's reconciliation. If he were to go back and take part in this horrible celebration, it would be one more loss. It would be adding insult to injury. And he's just not going to do that because he knows what's right. Does anybody remember the Ten Commandments? Does everyone remember number five? Honor your father and mother. What part of that don't you understand? He's thinking. And he's absolutely right. So no, he's, he's not going to forgive. He's uh, not very interested in this celebration. It smacks to him of grace. Remember our definition of grace? I've been talking about this. Grace is... Taking what somebody else deserves, the trouble that they deserve, that they're in, taking it upon yourself, and giving them the good that they do not deserve. It's a great exchange. And, you know, it's always scandalous. And so what the elder brother is doing is he's coming face to face with the scandal of grace, with the scandal of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, face to face with the scandal of the cross itself, where our God takes upon himself the shame, the guilt, the death that we deserve in order to give us the honor and the life and the joy that we do not but don't miss for a second how countercultural this is. This elder brother is absolutely right. He represents the majority opinion. It's traditional religion in his day. It's traditional religion in our day. It's the way the world works. Grace just doesn't have a place. It's too subversive. It's too dangerous. So he's not going back to that house. So what does he do? Five actions very quick, quickly. In verse 28, we see a refusal. He refuses to go. He refuses reconciliation. Refusal. Number two, he insults. He insults his father. Traditional address or father is to say father. Even the prodigal gets that right. But he says he drops out any address. doesn't call his father father, oh, father. He says, listen! Exclamation point. He insults his father. Three, he rejects. He rejects his father's affection. I have been working for you like a slave. That's all it's been. All of these years. Care nothing for your love. 
Uh, four, he accuses his father of favoritism. You don't even give me a calf. And then five, he disowns the family. And as Miroslav Volf, the Yale theologian, says, he unsons himself. You catch that? When he says, this son of yours, Jesus wants us to notice he has pulled himself out of this family. He has disinherited himself. Isn't this exactly what the prodigal had done? Exactly. He has emotionally destroyed his father. He has emotionally withdrawn from relationship. He's done with this dad and this family altogether. Now, that's the elder brother. Let's look at the father. And I want you to see two things. And here's the point. It's all about grace for the father. No different with this boy than with the other boy. And, and the point is, grace is the doorway to celebration. You want joy in your life? You find it in grace. And, and there are two aspects to this grace. There's the grace we receive, and then there's the grace that we share. First, uh, he embraces, this father embraces the son in grace. And secondly, then, he points him to grace, that is to share it. He embraces him first in the, in the field in grace, and then he points him to grace back in the house. So, look, let's be surprised here at, at grace. How Number one, how he embraces this son in the field with grace. Because, frankly, now the father is hurt. Having heard what he has just heard from the elder brother, he's hurt. And let's be honest, the father is angry. And again, the father is right. Is he not? To be addressed this way by his son. And so we know what's coming. Both barrels, right? Not with his father. This father is going to speak for the first time in this entire narrative directly to one of his sons. That also tells us this is climax right here. He's going to speak to, he hasn't spoken to either of these boys, and now at the very end of this story, he's going to speak directly to this offender, directly to this hurt, angry, and right son, and he's going to say to him, Son, verse 31, he says, Son. That word says it all. It's, uh, it's a bid for his heart. It's a characterization of his reality. It describes the truth about his life. Because this father has never and will never let him out of his heart. Son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Think of what he could have said. What would I have said if I had been that dad at that time? I would have said, whoa, 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 at my best. I would have said, whoa, listen, you are, you are not as entitled to that anger as you think you are. Um, there's a log in your own eye, you know, you're just missing your self-righteousness. You know, you've been as disobedient as the rest of us here. Uh, you've got sins, maybe not of the flesh, but pride and bitterness and jealousy. Come on. But the father doesn't do any of that. Doesn't call him to repent. Doesn't call him to confess. Look at how he honors him. Look at how he favors him. He says, you know, you know, son, you are always with me. Not you have always, but you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. He's reinstituting him in the family. He's recharacterizing him with the abundance of this inheritance. It all belongs to you. And, you know, he's saying, I, I know that you want to do this with me. I know that you want to go back into this house. I know that you want to join me in this celebration because... It's just the right thing to do. 
Grace is the closest thing to my heart. And we've been together. I've been with you longer than this other son. And, you know, you and I have shared a lot of life together. We have a special relationship, don't we, son? And, and because of that, you know my heart is around grace. And I know, therefore, that you want to be a part of this. You want to participate with me. See, he's just giving him the benefit of the doubt. He's, he's, he's speaking of him what probably isn't the truth, but he's assuming it of him as a gracious uh, act of favoring him. See, when you and I have been hurt and angry, what oftentimes makes us angry is that we think that life has favored somebody else. Someone, maybe life circumstances, maybe God himself has favored somebody else at our expense. And, and, and this is like the, the people in Israel, Psalm 37 and Psalm 73, dealing with these same issues. Psalm 37 says, do not be envious of the wrongdoers, for they'll soon fade like grass. And Psalm 73 says, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What are these people saying? They're saying, hey, how come all these people run like rebels through life? And yet they prosper. You know, I don't want to see them in church with me. You know, here we are trying to do the right thing. And, and yet, God, you're honoring them? You're favoring them? And God says, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Their sin is their own reward. You're living in my grace. Just watch what's going to happen in your life. Watch what happens in the space of grace. There's a celebration for you. It's like Peter, you know, when Jesus says... Peter says, how often do I have to forgive? 70 times, 7, come on, I've been taken for a chump here. I'm getting trampled by people around me. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. My grace is sufficient for you. There's something far greater that every time you forgive, you're participating in. See, he's, he's, he's addressing the anger by favoring him. He's coming alongside of him. Favoring. That's the embrace of grace. And Mark Batterson tells a story about his grandfather. He says his grandfather died when he was six years old. But he used to visit his grandpa's house, and he used to run the house, you know, and play and hide and trash the place, I'm sure. There's one place he was not allowed to go, and that was where there was this dis- a display shelf of uh, fossils. And he knew these were priceless fossils, and he was not ever to go near them. And so, of course, what does a six-year-old child want to do? Play with fossils. This is fun. And so one day he does. He's climbing up there and he tips one of the fossils off the shelf and it crashes huge. And it's nothing but dust. And he cries out and he's terrified. Of course, his grandfather, hearing the sound, comes to the doorway. And what does he do? And Mark Patterson says, he, he ran to me. He swept me up in his arms and hugged me to reassure me. He says, I, I learned in that moment that I will never forget a great lesson, and that is to my grandfather, I was more valuable than a priceless fossil. That's what's happening to the elder brother as the father comes out and embraces him in the field. He says, my son, <laughs> there's something bigger here than our hurt, than our anger, than our self-righteousness. There's something bigger here than compensation. There's something greater here than an eye for an eye. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The book of James says there's something more. You just have two people with missing eyes, but I am in the presence of one. We are in the presence of one who gives sight to the blind. And it's called grace. And it's the doorway to celebration. So he embraces him in the field. And then secondly, he says, son, do you hear that music? Do you see that house and the lights here at the end of the day that are coming? I want to invite you there. 
See, now he, he points him to grace. He points him to the grace in the field. And even though he's in this grace, I don't think this brother wants to go. I don't think he wants to do it. Because he knows to walk across that threshold is to step into forgiveness. And he doesn't want it. He doesn't want to do it. Because he's lost so much already. And you know what that's like when you're angry? To forgive is just to lose one more thing and to risk all the more. Why would I do that? But look, here's what the father says. He says, you know that fatted calf? That's for you. See, we think the fatted calf was for the brother, and the younger brother. And the elder brother thinks it was too. He thinks the fatted calf is for the prodigal. But I can prove to you, I think, that it's not. Here's, there are three stories side by side in Luke 15, and they all share certain uh, elements. They all share someone who is looking, someone who finds, and then someone who holds a celebration. In the first case, there is a shepherd who leaves the 99 to go find the one. And when he finds him, he takes that sheep, and what does he do? He calls, that's an important word, all of his neighbors and friends. He says, rejoice with me. Same thing. A woman who's searching her house turns it inside out and upside down to find the one lost coin. When she finds the coin, what does she do? She calls all of her neighbors and friends. She calls them and she says, rejoice with me. And now here's his father. He has lost his two sons. And about the second one, he comes out to invite him into this house. Now look, who's the party for? Who's the fatted calf for? Did the sheep appreciate the party? No, it's for the friends and neighbors. It's for others. Did the coin appreciate the celebration? Of course not. It's not for them. It's for the others. Was the feast for the younger brother? Oh, the fatted calf was not for the younger brother. It was for the elder brother. And it's because after the fatted calf was slain and the party had begun, it's for him that the father then leaves the house and he goes out to the field. And we read, he begs, he pleads, verse 28, he began to plead with him. Now, here, that word is interesting. Plead. It's the same word call with a different prefix on it. Parakaleo. Call alongside. Same word for encouragement in the scripture. He's saying, I've come out, son, to invite you into this celebration of reconciliation because I want to encourage you. Because I want you to see more. Of life. I want you to see more of my heart in your life. And you will if you come in. If you step across that threshold. This is for you. I want you to rejoice with me. And you can't do it out here in the field. You can only do it there. Where you discover the mystery of reconciliation. Done my way. And in my power. And in my presence. This is the bigger thing that Mark Batterson discovered. When his father embraced him. And it's time for this elder brother to get it too. He's come to encourage him. He's come to call him, to invite him to his discovery of grace. With God's grace, you're never losing. There's always an abundance. There's always an invitation to celebration that you couldn't see before. So let's share it with others. Let's dare to go in and dare to forgive. How do we do it? How do you and I walk through this doorway? Well, if you're looking for the handle, don't look very far. It's as close to you as the nearest estranged person in your life. It might be right there in that circle of friends. Friends. 
your relationships. There's someone there who needs your forgiveness. If you're looking for strength, you're looking for Jesus. You're looking for this Father in Jesus. Because grace is never easy. It always comes to a cost, with a cost. It's always painful. Look, we're going to take upon ourselves somebody else's anger, somebody else's shame, somebody else's loneliness, and we're going to own it ourselves. And then we're going to take what we desperately value in our own lives, our own peace, our own reward, our own blessing, and we're going to say, here, you take it, it's for you. It's going to cost us something, and it's going to be hard. And Sometimes we're endeavoring to share grace with somebody who's not asking for it, who doesn't know they've done something wrong, who's not asking us for forgiveness. Sometimes we're endeavoring to share grace with someone who continues to violate shalom in our midst, even at the moment. And so it's a journey. A distance between the field and the house can be a great distance. But here's where I take comfort. This father did not send a servant boy out to the field to collect him and bring him in. He went himself. He went to stand in the hurt and in the anger of his son. And he went to share with him grace, to encourage him, to invite him back in. And he said then, in essence, let's go together. I believe that this father is intending to walk side by side, step by step, matching him every step of the way as he finds his way back towards reconciliation, as he does the difficult work, even within himself, of getting ready to forgive the Father goes with him. The strength of God. Well, I, I don't know if this is helpful to you, but in my own life, I'm working on five grace disciplines, and I'll share these with you. And uh, to help me remember, I've got a little um, acronym or whatever. Pink lizards climb fast and proud. There you go. It's in your head. You'll never forget. Pink lizards climb fast and proud. Here's P, prayer. And here's some words for you. Jesus, give us your grace. Prayer. Secondly, listening. Again, some words for you. Tell me your story. And then C, confession. I was wrong. And then F, forgiveness. Some words for that? I forgive you. Since our children were young, we always taught them to say, if anybody ever says, I'm sorry to you, you say, I forgive you. How valuable that is to say back, I forgive you. And then A, affirmation. I believe in you. I do. Even when you don't believe in yourself. And finally, P, partnership. Let's do it together. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't end this story, don't you think? I mean, it's like one of those movies that just is so exasperating. The last scene, it's about to resolve, and the screen goes black. Wait, you can't do that. The credits are rolling. You go, what happened? That's exactly the way Jesus tells a story. Because he wants us to work it out for ourselves. We want to know, does this elder brother stay brooding in the field? Does he harden his heart? Does he turn away? Does he finally leave the family behind saying, I'm done with these people? Or does grace win him over? And Does he turn with his father. This is how I like to imagine it. I like to see these two men walking arm in arm across the furrows back to that house. And the elder brother would take his pruning hook and he would lean it against the side of the building as he ducks in the entryway and crosses that threshold into the celebration. He'd stop for a second to let his eyes adjust and he'd see through the 
gyrating revelers, his younger brother on the dance floor. And it would give him pause for a second, a hot flash, and he'd look back and, and see his father smiling. And he'd look at him and he'd smile and he'd turn forward. He'd feel his father's hand on his shoulder and he'd hear from behind, I knew you'd want to do this. I knew you would. And then he would go across the floor through the crowds and he'd approach his younger brother. He would look him in the face with a smile and he would say, Brother, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Welcome home. And those two would embrace each other, and the father would come and wrap his arms around both of them. But I say Jesus wants you to finish it. Jesus knows you will finish it one way or another. You'll have to, all of us. We'll have to decide. Are we going to sit with hurt, angry, and right? Or are we going to step through the doorway to share his grace with others and join the celebration? Your choice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for embracing us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for stepping into right where we are this morning and turning shoulder to shoulder with us to encourage us that we might see what you see, the bigger picture of grace. Give us now the freedom to take the first step and to walk with you into reconciliation. Help us to do it with each other in such a way that we might really party and we might have so much joy here because we have entered into the brokenness and we have discovered there beneath it all a greater power in your love. And we've been set free. And we've been rejoicing in such a way that it would be infectious. And that others would want to come and rejoice with us in this party. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake and pleasure and glory. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.